0: You know, I'm old enough to understand that you can be mad at life or you can get in the flow of it. And the result is completely up to you. Building a career worthy
1: of respect takes equal parts knowing your value and forging relationships with the right people. Missing either of those key components can just throw an otherwise promising career off track. So how do you know you're making the right decisions and connecting with the right people? How do you make sure that you're valuing yourself at all times? Today's guest has stories in spades about just that. I mean, my mouth was wide open and in awe of all of her incredible stories of wisdom, strength, and courage. Juliet Jones is the Executive Vice President of Urban Promotions at Atlantic Records, and she got there by knowing exactly who she is and what she wants. From her first internship at MCI, a throwback, to her current position, she's excelled using her smarts bomb-ass work ethic and friendships with some of the best in the business to innovate hip-hop. Juliet has created a brand by just being true to herself and her trajectory, a skill no masterclass or influencer can really teach you. Get into this episode and I hope Juliet's story inspires you as much as it inspired me. I'm sitting here with Ms. Juliet Jones. How you doing, Juliet? Juliet? I'm great, thanks. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. Um, So I like to ask, before we get into the interview, I do like to um, ask everyone the question about their very, very first job. But I kind of also like that before this started rolling, that we kind of had a little Harlem kiki because (laughs) we're both in Harlem. Right. Um, So let's back up just a little bit. Um, Tell me about what do you love about Harlem and what is it that keeps you in Harlem? Um,
0: what I love about Harlem and what keeps me there is the same. Mm-hmm. I first moved to New York City in in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And um, I had friends from Howard okay. who were from Harlem. Mm-hmm. And so I entered into my New York city experience as a Harlemite okay. with all of the rules that come along with that, such as don't ever go to Brooklyn, <laughs> which is kind of still very much. So it's <laughs> dangerous and far, um, you know, but what I lived in midtown for years and I've been back in Harlem about five years. And the thing I love most about it now is that it is still kind of old New York. Mm. It's very diverse okay. and there's I I live very close to um, a big enclave of of French Africans, mm-hmm. and I'm a Francophile yeah. as a hobbyist. Okay. <laughs> so I, I love that about yeah. it, but I love to hear all the different languages when I walk down the street. I like the fact that it's not so homogenized. I think Midtown now has become very shiny yeah. and very all the same. Got it. Like it's curfew guys time for you to leave midtown (laughs) I mean I feel like that sometimes at work so I love the diversity of Harlem I love the fact that so many of my friends are there so for me if I have sort of a neighborhood that's home to me in New York City it's Harlem got it
1: I just like I'm very biased because I refuse to move to Brooklyn even though we work in Brooklyn but so I love, I, I love Harlem Love. I um. And speaking yeah. of work and Midtown and all of that, you are the highest ranking African-American woman at Warner Music Group. Correct me if I'm According wrong. To billboard. According that's to Billboard, that's the case. I think that's a pretty valid resource. <laughs>
0: um, I did not know that, by the way, until yeah. the actual issue came out. That's
1: pretty amazing. But before you became the highest ranking, so technically your title is EVP Urban... Promotion at Atlantic Records. Correct. But before all of this, what was your very, very,
0: very first job? Ever? Like my first job, they gave me a check or anything? Anything. So I started out interning in the music business. Um, I worked at MCI, which you look pretty young, but do you know what that is? I do know what
1: MCI is, but before you started interning I'm talking about the job that...
0: Look, the first job I ever had that paid me? Anything. So my first full-time-ish job, Mm -hmm. I was 11 years old. Yes, that's what I want. (laughs) And one of my neighbors in my neighborhood was in the LPGA. Okay. And randomly, she had a daughter. I believe her daughter was about four or five years old. Okay. And her daughter was autistic. Wow. Which, you know, is a thing now, but back then it was like a unicorn. No one knew what it was. Yes. And I was 11, and they asked me to babysit. I Like, one of our neighbors referred me, and I babysat her, and I was a baking enthusiast as a child. So what I decided to do with my time with this little girl was to make cupcakes, and we put faces on them with gumballs and shoelace licorice, <laughs> and she loved me. Okay. So I began babysitting her five days a week, and one weekend a month, I would spend the weekend at their house so that I could keep her.
1: Wow. That's pretty good. Her name I mean, was Elizabeth, yeah. That sounds... You're smiling while you say it. You have she was memories. really cute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and um, it sounds like you also. You said you were on eleven. Yeah, and that's yeah. you. That sounds very independent of you to be. You know, that's a lot of responsibility.
0: It's a lot of responsibility. I didn't have a sense. I, I smile when I say it now because I had no sense at eleven the value of that experience for my life. Because as an adult, I have some friends whose children, one of my close friends, they diagnosed her son with autism. Mm. And I was like, I don't think he's autistic. She's like, I'm telling you. I said, cool, let's go to lunch. He's like four years old. She's like, he doesn't talk to anyone, whatever. On the way back from lunch, he's talking my head off in the (laughs) backseat, crying when we leave. She's like, I was like, I told you he's not autistic. He's spoiled.
1: (laughs) Yes, got it. So, I mean, okay. Okay, this is getting to something. So, before we get into the full scope of, you know, where you are now, career-wise, you, it sounds like you have a knack for reading the heck out of people, seems like you can really you're very observant
0: um so my mother was a part-time anthropologist by hobby she dabbled in that <laughs> an archaeologist okay and so I think I just grew up being fascinated by peoples and cultures because I was surrounded by that in my home okay where I'm from in Evanston our claim to fame is Northwestern University yes, so I grew it up is. in an academic city Illinois
1: Illinois so Illinois. tell me about Evanston tell me about growing up there what um what was your family life like?
0: My parents were divorced, so me we, we moved there. Me, my mom, and sister when I was in fourth grade. Okay, um, and I, of course, when you first move, it's weird and kids are difficult. Um, but overall, as I as I grew up there, I think it was an amazing place to grow up. I loved it. I actually was living in my bubble that I had no idea. <laughs> Evanston is nice.
1: Like um, I. Grew up a little in Chicago and then went back there for college. And Evanston was always a place where we would go to like, okay, we got paid. Let's go to the cute movie theater in Evanston and not like the crazy. Yeah. It's like it was a very safe little town. Like our mom would let us
0: hang out after school downtown, which if we lived in Chicago would never happen. Yes. yes. And so I think it was a, it was a not idyllic, but it was a really great place to grow up and we have a beach and you know, we could ride our bikes and move around and I really did not have very much of an understanding of socioeconomic divide or mm. racial divide growing yeah. up there, which was great. But when I grew up and left there, it was a real punch in the face. Yeah. I wasn't prepared for what was coming. Yeah. But I loved it. I mean, I love Chicago. I think it's a beautiful city. Yeah, I do, too. And except I love for, the
1: people. Except for those winners. Yes. But I love the people. So yes. tell me about how did you... Um, how did you end up getting into the industry you're in now? From what I read, you studied accounting for a little bit, and then you said, "So no, I was attending University
0: of Maryland." Okay, I wanted to go to Howard. My mother thought I wouldn't graduate, so I looked on the map, and Maryland was close. Okay, so that's how I picked it because you're a genius at that age. <laughs> and um, so I was at Maryland, and I, 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 my first accounting class, I shockingly to everyone in my life, I ended up with 100%. That was my average. I never got one question wrong. So I had no clue what I wanted to do. I had wanted to be a doctor most of my life and change my mind. So I was like, maybe I'll do accounting.
1: Okay.
0: I'm seeming to be pretty good at this. I'll yeah. do this. But I worked in the evenings at MCI. So I met this woman and she said to me, how would you like to intern for me? I'm, I was in the music business in the 70s. I married a guy in the military. I'm just back. I'm trying to get back. I said, Well, what do I have to do? Okay. She said, You know, like hand out club, you know, cassettes, t shirts, et cetera, at the club. Is I was like, No problem. I'm Arlinda. Garrett. Arlinda? Okay. Yeah, Arlinda, Arlinda Garrett. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes. And so I said, Okay. And I was going to the club anyway. <laughs> I was in college. <laughs> I didn't have any money. Of course. And being the hustler that I am, I also had a part-time job at the Ritz nightclub, which at the time was one of the most celebrated nightclubs in the East Coast. Wow. Um The guy who started it, Testify, is to me the father of some of the greatest club promoters of our generation. Mark Barnes started with him, Abe, Gid, uh, Abe from ESSO, Alex yeah. Gidwan. <laughs> So I worked there, and then I started like getting in free and getting to the front of the line and getting this preferential treatment, and I was like, this is fantastic. (laughs) I want this life. (laughs) This Uh is so much better than accounting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Got it. So that was kind of—so it it was— It wasn't that necessarily that you just didn't like a It sounds like you were very good at it, but you saw a life that you could have. I was committed, right? I just was
0: kind of undecided, and that's what I was good at. So I was like, this sounds good because my mother was still bitter about medical school. Okay. Which is valid. Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very valid. Yeah. So what was it like working with
0: Arlinda, the legend? Oh, my goodness. I mean, you know. <laughs> and for
1: those who don't know who she is, can you kind of give a little.
0: So our Linda um, is from Texas. San Antonio started her music business career in the 70s. I don't know. I don't want to misquote the year. Yeah. But her first husband was a big, big, powerful DJ. He kind of got her in the business. Um, And she worked at CBS. She worked with Clarence Avon. Mm-hmm. She worked with Clive Davis, et cetera. At some point after she'd had a great time in Los Angeles and Texas in the music business, she was married to one of the Lakers. Mm -hmm. They got a divorce. She married this guy, moved to Europe. So when she came back, she got this job at MCI and she was looking to get back into the business. So if I remember correctly, her first job was Busted Records, which was MC Hammer's label. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Which was fantastic because I'm that of time. the new edition generation yes. and hammer was on tour with them opening. That's pretty big. So I was like, big, this is big incredible. Big like I'm about to die. <laughs> if I see new edition backstage, I'm going to die. Yes. So, um, she got that job. So I would travel, you know, travel around with her, go to radio with her, Kathy Hughes, yeah, obviously okay. the legend that she is had one radio station at the time. I would go with our Linda on record day and Kathy Hughes would be like, baby girl, answer the phone. I'm gonna go get some lunch. And I was like, Miss Hughes, make Alfred do it. Who's her Al- son? Yeah. He was like, she didn't ask me to do it. I don't. He's the he's the head of the company. We get a good kiki idea. So we argue like brother and sister all okay. the time. Um, And so I met her. I mean, when I think back to that experience, like how blessed I was that DC, BET was in DC at yeah, that time. Big, all of the shows were taped. Jamie Foster Brown's Sister to Sister, which was a big, important publication yes. for us, Huge. was based out of D.C. Then Kathy Hughes was in the early stages of building her radio empire. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, fortunately where, for me, I just was right in the thick right of it and had no idea what it could be or become. Yeah. And so, you know, that experience with Arlinda. then she took me to convention and I was like, let me get this straight people get paid to come here and party and your job pays for you to be here like all your expenses Mm -hmm. this is way better than doing taxes so i'm in
1: (laughs) i agree i mean from what it sounds like uh, you know so tell me about like some of those i'm sure you're young you know beautiful and in an industry that's pretty much dominated by a lot of men and what was it like navigating the space being at that age at this time as a young woman
0: um i mean what what i think back on often i was very fortunate Arlinda took me to Jack the Rapper with her one year and her first husband George Boogaloo Frazier was there he's now deceased rest in peace Boogaloo and so he was an OG at this point Mm -hmm. right so the big big wigs knew who he was and nobody else really knew and this is the time with Jack the Rapper when you dressed up like the banquet we wore sequins and stockings and you know the whole shebang and so I go into the lobby of this hotel and I see like patty labelle and i'm like are you kidding me wow. like this lady is just standing right here and hanging around and then these guys were playing catch in the lobby and hit me with the ball <laughs> so one of the guys was like wearing coveralls like they do at a garage mm-hmm. and it said sam so he has dreadlocks and he's like i'm so sorry i'm so sorry and i was like no problem and he says what's your name i said juliet he says i'm sam okay cool it was buster rhymes <laughs>
1: And of course he was wearing coveralls. Of course he was. Of course was. he was. Of
0: course he was. Of course. So in yes. any event, so I make my way to the restaurant, Boogaloo, sitting there with Lamont and Lamont Bowles. And don't know who either one of them are, but Arlinda introduces me to Boogaloo. And he was like, sit down, baby girl. I need to talk to you. I think I was 20, maybe. Okay. And he says, you see all. He said, I see you looking at all these artists and these famous people with the stars in your eyes. It's exciting, huh? I said, yes, sir. He said, none of them can do shit for you. <laughs> none of them. Mm. He said, if you want to become an executive, do not let them sidetrack you. They cannot give you a job. They don't have anything to offer you. And I never forgot it. It is the one and only time in my life I ever met him.
1: What, what was it about that when you're sitting there and you hear this? What was it that struck you?
0: He had a very powerful presence, yeah. And he also said to me in that conversation, "You're a beautiful, beautiful girl, and I bet a lot of people try to offer you things and do things for you." He said, "But a man who really cares about you will never keep you begging." Okay. How can you not listen to that guy? Okay, looking around to make
1: sure snaps everybody in the, in the room, snaps in the room, <laughs> over here on the
0: side. <laughs> I mean, I isn't that, that something? Like that's
1: something that's also very powerful to hear at that age. Correct. He needs to be around to
0: talk to this generation because they don't get that. Yeah. So (laughs) his whole conversation to me struck me. as like he was very powerful and I believed him. Mm -hmm. I believed that he was trying to give me some real information and he was very much of a yes, sir. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? He did not give you a question me and talk back sort of a vibe. (laughs) And I really wanted to be respected. Mm -hmm. And he was the first person, I think. First man mm-hmm. in the business I'd met who understood that immediately.
1: Which is good. So, I mean, so clearly you, car- the way you carried yourself, it was, you know, it was, it was clear, which is,
0: you wouldn't have gotten, know if it you was may- clear maybe he told her, but I saw, <laughs> she told him, but I so appreciated it. However, he arrived there because okay. it was, a, it was almost a chip on my shoulder. It was yeah. very important to me to be received as smart as opposed to like she's cute, she yeah, knows cute, people. She, can, she got a job. Yeah, yeah she can I do those. Them maybe to maybe I can ask that her. I was intelligent.
1: Yeah. So you're twenty in your twenties at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about your, I guess your rise through the ranks. So at this time you're twenty. You're working for Arlinda. How? What was the next step? What was the next major step? Do you think after that? So the
0: next major step was. I, because I wanted to go to Howard, I lived in D.C. I mm-hmm. had an apartment in D.C. Most of the people who lived in my apartment building were Howard students. <laughs> um, one of them at the time was Derek Arnold, Larkin Arnold's son. Okay. Um, so I met him and I, 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 we, did, we weren't friends, but I got to spend enough time <clears> with <throat> him to get a sense of that his dad was a really big deal. Um, and one of my friends from Harlem, Nikkel Schultz, her grandmother, Sylvia Robinson, was Percy Sutton's lifelong assistant. Okay. And I, I find so many random things interesting, right? Like Arlinda is from San Antonio. The, the Suttons are from San Antonio. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. I've never been to San Antonio <laughs> in my life. Yes. Um, and so Nickel, we all knew Puff and everybody from from school. So when Puff got an internship at WBLS, Nikhil got it for him, and he was leaving. Okay, and to go I had to where, been, like uptown. He went to uptown, intern, uptown, yeah. uptown records. Yeah. Okay. So when um, I had a job at MCI, and my job was moving to South Carolina, because when I was interning, I had an apartment and I had a car. So the idea of working for completely for free was not an option <sighs> for me. A, no, but my job was moving to South Carolina, and I guess one could say I've always been a bit of an overachiever because I think I was like a 21-year-old supervisor who'd been there like four years. <laughs> okay. And so I got the opportunity to be laid off. Okay. Which was such a blessing because when I got laid off, I also got unemployment. Mm-hmm. And that enabled me to take over Puff's internship at BLS when he left. Oh, okay. So in my brilliant 21 or whatever I was, year old wisdom, I moved to New York to work for free. Okay. Okay. Um. My good friend from who went to Howard, who's from Harlem, had grown up in Schaumburg. Um, some, around this time, um, her mother passed away. So as New Yorkers do, she stayed in the apartment. That's right. Yeah. So I moved in with her. So all the stars kind of worked out in a very Everything weird way. Everything just started to align. Right. So yeah. I come to New York. I start interning at WBLS. Thanks to mm-hmm. Um, Puff was at Uptown. And he was incredibly helpful actually. I, I really appreciated how kind he was and trying to help me, you know, navigate that. How was he helpful? Well, you know, like I'm not from New York. I found the whole thing intimidating. <laughs> I wasn't making any money. I didn't really know it was smart, but you know, when you want so badly to get in and get a job. When someone's like, "So this is how our interns work? You rotate through every department in the whole record in the whole radio station." You're like, "I, <laughs> yeah, okay." I, de- I definitely don't want to do news do and traffic. Yeah. Like I could skip that, but okay. that's not really how it works. And so he was good about like giving me some insight about what was really valuable about the internship. And this is when he he was still an intern. He was interning, right? and he was but still, he was always him. He's yes. been shiny for a long time. So. <laughs> It's always him. And so one thing that was really valuable was when I did my turn in the promotions department, again, I worked for free in New York city.
1: Yeah. And this was during, do you mind me asking around what year?
0: Early nineties. Okay. Early nineties. Okay. All right. We're in our early twenties. Yes. And, um, so once I got into the promotion department, I was able to go everywhere and go to everything. So that's what did it. And so I like, in the midst of that, I also was very interested in records. So on record day, every single record person came to see our program director and my first program director, Mike Love. Um, That was his least favorite part of the job. So Mike used to like sneak out the back, like, Julia, tell him to wait, and then he'd leave at the back stairs, and then I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry, he had to (laughs) He had to to go. (laughs) He didn't want to meet with them, (laughs) which also empowered me as an intern, because they just wanted someone to tell them something about what was going on with their record. Okay, okay. And so as an intern, I started to become a resource, like, hey, can you find out what's up with our record with Mike, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so... That was very valuable. And then when I got into the promotions department, I was able to meet people at venues. I had friends at Arista Records, Lina Ridenauer and Jeff House that I knew from before. These names.
1: These, just these iconic. I mean, Lina La- <laughs> Ridenauer is yes. the truth. He had an
0: incredible um, career. So
1: I do Something you said earlier, you said, you know, Puff has always been shiny. Mm-hmm. Um, have you always been a leader, do you think?
0: no i don't know
1: yeah i I mean because you're a leader you're a leader like Um,
0: you kind of i think a lot of
1: times um even growing up as when we're kids sometimes there are people who stand out and it's like okay (laughs) they're they're that's definitely um a, a kid so to speak who is uh they're comfortable leading people yeah and you have to lead a lot of people and make a lot of top level big decisions yeah. now. Has that always been something that you've been comfortable with?
0: I think, or did you grow no, into it? No, I mean, it? I'm not always even comfortable with it now, right? Yeah. Like some days I definitely feel like I'm winging it, Okay. but I don't think, I think I'm the only one who does that.
1: I appreciate you saying that you think you're winging it sometimes because sometimes you need to hear that. You know, I think we need to hear that. I think a well, lot of us. I think women... it's important
0: for everyone to know, too, that almost everybody at every level has imposter syndrome in the beginning. Okay. You never did this job before. Even if you were great at the last one, this new thing is still like, uh-oh. Mm-hmm. Am I crazy? I was killing the last one. I could have stayed there forever. Like, <laughs> am I about to expose one. myself? Right. I yeah. don't know. And that's pretty common, I think. But when I, I think what served me as a young woman mm-hmm. is again, I, I had almost a chip on my shoulder about wanting people to think I was smart. Mm-hmm. I really did not receive the like, oh, you're you're cute, whatever. Like around that same time, I was dabbling in modeling, mm-hmm. and I found the whole thing, the the experience. It was cool to make money. Right. But yeah. it, the experience was it wasn't for me because I, I wanted to be heard. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure that I thought I was a leader. I just really was like, I have some ideas, guys. Like, let me give my ideas because yeah. I want you to think I'm smart. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I think, have great ideas and are too timid to say them.
1: Definitely. So during this time that you're, you know, you're, you're in this space and it, it sounds like you're um, successfully kind of navigating. You figured you're winging it. But you're doing it. I'm winging it. A couple bumps in a row,
0: but I'm still going.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What were some of the bumps? What were some of the
0: major bumps early on? Well, definitely working for free was challenging. Okay. So I had a P.O. box because I got unemployment in D.C. and I actually lived part-time in New York. Okay. Just a little secret. Just a little secret. (laughs) I'm confident the statute of limitations. Sorry, U.S. I wasn't working, though. I wasn't getting paid. But um, I had a car. That they were trying to repossess, Ooh. but they thought I was in D.C. Okay. Um, And so, you know, it was like, I remember that the bad boy Christmas party, the first one at the tunnel, the yeah. one. Oh, okay, I've heard about this. The one. I've heard about this so in the I tunnel. So was interning and doing street promotion for Arista, so Lionel decided that as the intern street promo girl, that it was my job to deliver the tickets the day of the party. Oh my... Now, one could say that we know the way we do things a little last minute on our side. That's probably when the tickets were available. Mm-hmm. And so my roommate from DC, from college, was visiting. So I'm like, Ange, cool, come with me. We're going to deliver the tickets. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm not a New Yorker. So my idea of delivering tickets around Midtown in my own car was a horrible plan. Oh, wow. Okay. But I had Angie. But okay. Riding shotguns. So it was two of us. So we could double park. This is the payphone era. Gotcha. Cell phone. Gotcha. So somebody I can't get, I pull over to the side of the road to call on the payphone. I'm about to drop these tickets off. I open the door. A van hits my car door. It's like an accordion. So the dro- so the passenger side of the door is crunched. We can close it back. Now we can't get it open. So Angie's oh, no. stuck. She has she to touched. climb over. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a stick shift. It was oh, real loud no. here. Five oh, no. okay. So I proceed to deliver the tickets the rest of the day in my car. And then we go to the party. Okay. So we get to the party, and I, you know, talking to Flex, and he's like, What's up with you? And I was like, Oh my God, someone hit my car, and I have no money. And so now I got to get some more records to work, else I'm never going to get my car fixed. (laughs) We have this broken door. I'm DJing. It's a Christmas party. Why is this my problem? this is prior to the time of knowing that he's a car guy. Okay. But he was, oh, in fact, right, a car guy.
1: That's right. I, okay. I've heard this before. So All this right. was
0: very devastating, and I happened to download it on my friend Funkmaster right. Flex, who could fix it for me. So you
1: got... And okay, he fixed it for me. He fixed it for you.
0: He fixed it for me, but that, that experience of being that broke and they're looking... The U.S. Marshals went to my best friend's mother's house in Illinois. I didn't even know they do this for a wow. Honda. That's a lot of extra. <laughs> that's a that's lot of extra. for a extra. Honda. That's, a Honda.
1: That's very extra. Like, yes. guys, I probably owe you $6,000. I don't know what it is. You know. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Obviously, like, maybe during the time, that seemed that was a little but more that money. That challenging. But... Um, one okay. of the most
0: difficult times when it happened was when I lost my job at Jive. I was devastated. Yeah. In hindsight, it was a huge blessing. But that was a tough time.
1: What advice do you have for anyone that's listening right now who maybe they've just gotten laid off for the first time ever? Because I've experienced that and I wish I remember experiencing that for the first time some years ago and no one around me had. And I remember feeling completely insecure and like, you know, just a failure. But, you know, it wasn't me. It was and also it was time. It was time to leave that yeah. job and move on. But I wished that I had a peer or at least somebody that could just say, okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, a couple of things I personally learned. I I was Juliet from Jive. R Kelly was the king of our label at the time. Mm -hmm. So much so that they used to write that it was a Chicago based label. So I thought like I had arrived (laughs) in Nirvana. Okay. It's a nice ring. I'm Juliet from Jive. I'm Mm -hmm. from Chicago. And so one huge mistake that people should never make is do not let your job become too much of your identity because it's a job Mm -hmm. and you're here to make money. Mm -hmm. Um, but my father said to me, I was so upset, like crying, 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 crying. My poor friend had been my good friend, Azim Rashid, who runs Promo at Columbia. He got married maybe two months earlier. Okay. So he's a newlywed. And I'm like fired, and he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna come over." And I'm like drinking vodka, crying. This is the worst. He's like, "Oh my god, my wife's gonna leave me. I just got married. This is terrible. I have to go home. It's two a.m. Like, stop with the vodka already. (laughs) Devastating." So I called my dad, and I'm like, "Dad, I lost my job. I'm crying." He was like, "Well, what are you crying about?" He was like, "I was like, it's terrible. I lost my job." He was like, "Well, let me ask you something, baby girl. What were you doing when you got that job?" I said, "I don't know, looking for a job." He said, "That's exactly what you're gonna be doing when you get the next one." (laughs) That's real. That's real. Was, yeah. You know, I was like kind of bitter because yes. it's my dad, but yes. it kind of sunk in. Like, okay, dad, fine. Oh All right. Whatever. Thank but you. I, I, think that's, <laughs> I think that's the thing. And, 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 you know, people say it and look, getting fired never feels good. Anything that you perceive as rejection sucks in the moment. Mm-hmm. I would venture to say most of us had a boyfriend that didn't work out. And in hindsight, we're not like, he's the one that got away. We're like, Woo, thank, thank God that didn't work out. Yes. That's been my experience with getting fired from my job as well is that what was coming for me was so much bigger and so much better. Mm -hmm. And I, like many people don't love change. Yes. Okay. And Jive records, which I think was an incredible label with a phenomenal legacy. The owner was unbelievable and I was too young to understand what a big deal he was. So I would ask him 7,000 questions all the time. Um, It was a great learning experience, Mm -hmm. but when the company finally, you know, was acquired by BMG and then folded into Sony and became part of RCA, etc., eventually Jive didn't exist anymore, and most of the people who spent their entire life working at Jive never got other jobs in the music business because they didn't know anyone else. Because I had been fired from there many years earlier, I had moved around and I knew everybody, and so the opportunities for me have been quite different yeah well wow. so it really was a blessing but at the time it felt awful
1: okay you learn how to be agile it sounds and flexible and to adapt and um which is it's important to learn i think at a young age in particular um so of course you had arlinda mm-hmm. you know in the beginning and I, I, is it fair for me to refer to her almost like as um a mentor to you a mentor i mean
0: she's like a godmother to yeah me. she was beyond that because i was so young she was really like a mother to me like when i never wore makeup in my life when i started modeling she started helping me with the makeup and okay. she, just everything i needed right okay.
1: um, so how, i learned a lot <laughs> how crucial was um was it having mentors and other, other women in your corner helping you along the way
0: You know, interestingly enough, I mean, for her, it was it was great. And in my experience in working in D.C. as a regional, the women were phenomenal. Mm. When I got to New York, not the most helpful. Okay, To be honest. Um, Jive was I mean, look, I I do a male centric function. Mm -hmm. Promo is predominantly men. There's more women, way more women now than when I started. So there weren't a lot of places for me to go. And um, my first boss. Who took a chance on me? I interned for five years, which is, you know, kids today. That you might as well tell I them mean, like intern well till best, you die, right? They just, <laughs> you you just not interested. That's like eternity. Yeah. yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. So you know, five years. A lot of false starts. A lot of people who had t- told me they wanted to hire me for a job, and I would go meet with them, and the job they were interested in hiring for was not a job that I do. Mm. Um, and so my first boss, who gave me an, a chance, Larry Kahn meant everything to me that he took a chance on me and I wasn't his intern and I wasn't any of that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I've said it in many interviews, Funkmaster Flex was tremendously instrumental in me getting yeah. opportunities and under, like when I got to New York the night I met him I was fresh out of DC and thanks to my internship at BLS I was at the Crooklyn after party for the premiere. <laughs> wow
1: that's a thrill. very that's big stuff. Very iconic yes.
0: And Flex was DJing for free okay. he the, <laughs> because he, the, the era, he yes. was trying to become what he is today. Because yeah. of the era. He was trying to become what he is today which he worked you know one of the hardest working men I've ever met mm. and I was fresh out of DC, so I had on slacks mm-hmm. and a silk blouse <laughs> and high heel boots. Very DC, yes. and I had a cross colors backpack of, with twelve inches yes, in it. Yes, Of course, of course you did. And I was I love like, Hi, Flex. So I wanted to talk to you about some records. He was like, Ma, where are you from? <laughs> like, do you work at the bank? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I was like, I mean, not anymore. But I mean accounting he, and he was like you gotta get some new clothes like i don't believe you know anything about hip-hop i don't believe you
1: wow he was
0: like i thought you were gonna come and tell me you're a singer and your record like this is not gonna work <laughs> so he really took me under his wing and also helped me to understand just the culture surrounding hip-hop in new york because it yeah. howard for whatever reason and in dc D- D. there were a ton of students from How- and howard from the west coast so we listened to nwa and dj quick uh-huh. and too short and blah 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 so I didn't have a strong sense of, I mean, I love Tribe Called Quest and whatever. There was a ton of New York stuff, but he helped me tremendously. And then Larry Kahn gave me my first job.
1: Okay. And technically, what was that exact first job?
0: My first job was the In this Mid-Atlantic Regional Promotions Manager.
1: Okay. Okay. So- what did that entail?
0: <laughs> so <laughs> what did it, that yes. entail? Um, my territory was Raleigh, North Carolina to Boston. He hired me for that job because I was from D.C. Yes. So he knew that I knew the market. And he hated it. Not D.C. personally, but, but. he thinks the streets and everything are nuts. <laughs> so he hired me to do that. I moved to D.C. three weeks after I started Arista Records, which at the time was like my number one choice of working. Okay. I had been interning there. Three weeks later, Lionel offered me a job with twice the salary.
1: Wow!
0: But because I'd interned for him for so many years, and he never offered me a job until Larry did, I didn't take it. I stayed with Larry because he believed in me.
1: Wow. Okay. All right. That's I'm um, I'm
0: I did get a little raised. I'm, I'm a
1: little speech um speechless. That's a pretty.
0: So I'll tell you the numbers. That's a chest Thirty five thousand dollars. Okay.
1: Yes. Tell me the numbers.
0: Lionel. Offered me sixty five thousand dollars plus the legendary Arista bonus, which means I could have made ninety thousand dollars. Yeah, but I need you to understand that thirty five thousand dollars to me. Me and my roommate moved to Virginia, where we could never afford to live, and we felt flush. Yep. <laughs> so I felt great with my thirty five thousand dollars. Yes. yes, and
1: but also just the fact that you knew it's like I interned for you for five years. You didn't believe. Yeah, so I'm gonna in stay. Okay. I'm gonna
0: stay here. Larry, can you give me a little more money. That's cool. That's so three cool. weeks in, I got a raise to fifty thousand, and okay. I was like, "Oh my god, I'm rich! You're... I'm rich! What am I going to do what with all this do... money? What am I going to do? Where am I going to go?" <laughs>
1: um, so that's a, but that's a pretty big. That says something about who you were at the time. The, I mean, I think a lot of people would go for the, you know, go for the money, or but you knew because you were in that experience, and you dealt with him in that situation you said okay I know I'm probably going to be valued more in this role
0: I mean I was like a little bitter I felt like Lionel I've interned for you for years you know exactly what I'm capable of and you didn't want to take a chance on me and I felt like Lionel came from a history of people who didn't necessarily believe women should do promotion and I think maybe some of that was at play with Mm -hmm. him I don't know but the fact that he would not take a chance on me when I had proven to him that I could do the work Mm -hmm. really bothered me. And as we've established now, I had a chip on my shoulder about respecting my intelligence. And what mattered to me the most was that Larry didn't care that he was the first and he didn't care that no one else had tried it out yet. He was willing to take a chance on me and it meant everything to me.
1: He was like, she can do it hired i mean i knew if i worked
0: for someone who like didn't see anything in me and wasn't going to teach me and and develop me as an executive and help me to learn and grow because they kind of were like you're cute stay there and get the records played till you're Mm. no good anymore i just that wasn't my path and
1: so what did you learn from him working like through that experience yeah through larry
0: so larry Khan is the son of joey bonner who is an iconic and legendary promotion man, like of Cadillac records era, mm-hmm. right? He's in the Hitman book. He's in many books that have been written about music. And so with that said, Larry is a great promo man. And Larry's quite pragmatic about promo, which mm-hmm. appeals to me. Um, and so I think he's, he said some things to me that were amazing. I mean, I remember that I had this one programmer and I am not a morning person. I'm not here. I hate. I've never grown to be a
1: morning person. But why do you do this so early? Do you have any charge of that? (laughs) (laughs) I know. I. There was a moment where my producer texted me this morning. I'm like, she making sure I'm up. She's She making sure I got out of bed on time. But you know. But
0: I. I'm a night. I'm definitely a night owl. Um. So (laughs) good to know. Yeah. Ditto. Okay. So, um, I got up. I think at five thirty in the morning, (laughs) and drove. (laughs) four hours to see this programmer and Larry was Larry, right? He's a big deal. So I get there and he's like, Oh, don't you and your boss talk? I just spoke to your boss and he was very annoying. He's called Larry. Oh, Hey big brother. And all this, he's not your brother. Cut it out. <laughs> so he gives me this whole speech about how Larry has, he's already spoken to Larry. And so he doesn't need to talk to me about the records. So I lose it after four. Okay. okay. Like, what are you talking about? Did he drive four hours of fucking see you? I go uh-huh. nuts. Right make him talk to me but I'm upset. No cell phone. Get in the car, drive to the nearest rest stop. Punch in my we had calling cards. Yeah. It was about 2000 numbers to call someone that you had to dial. <laughs> okay. Called called Larry crying and mad and everything at once and and he said this and that and I can't believe it and he's just the worst and he's so disrespectful. And Larry was like, listen, Julia, what do you do this for? I said, what do you mean? He said, do you want a Mercedes, shoes, handbags, a house? What do you do this for? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, a Mercedes would be nice. He said, all right, so let's go with the Mercedes for the sake of this conversation. He said, in this job and in your life, you have to look at someone like him. Is he smarter than you? Is he going to be the person to stop you from getting the Mercedes? Hmm. I was like, Him? No. He was like, Exactly. Mm-hmm. He said, Did he give you the information you needed? I said, Yes, but it was awful and I had to yell at him. He said irrelevant. You got it, you got it right? Mm. And he said, But you're this is not gonna be the last time that somebody doesn't want to talk to you, doesn't tell you what you wanna hear, doesn't isn't like welcome. Yeah. Come on in, sis. Sit <laughs> With down. A big smile. Right. And, <laughs> and he said, So you've gotta remember that. Yeah. Uh, is that person gonna be the reason you don't get what you want out of this?
1: Got it. That's pretty
0: Pretty amazing. Pretty advice. Amazing
1: advice. Yeah. And also very it sounds like kind of almost a quiet way of saying like to take your emotions out of it a little bit because because I can understand the frustration and why you would be that overwhelmed and like, you know, crying on the phone and
0: well, I used to cry that, every but... single morning at work at that job. Woo. And Larry <laughs> used to call me at 10.01 to make sure I was on time. OK.
1: And this went on for how long?
0: not that long because about six months into that job Mm -hmm. he called me and he was like juliet what happened with something something and hangs up in my face right Mm. whatever some records he's asking me about so i call him back hey larry did you just hang up in my face and i was done talking i said yo that's mad rude though like don't yeah. hang up in my face. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. I was done talking. I have a lot to do. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm getting off the phone. He gets off the phone. The next day, Larry calls me. Julia, what happened with so-and-so-and-so? So I said, make sure we can click. <laughs> he calls me back. Did you hang up in my face? I said, of course not. I was done talking. I said, how did that feel? That was the youngest person on the staff. He had been doing that. <laughs> And all of a sudden he stopped. <laughs> he stopped. And they were all like, we got to meet this new chick in D.C. Oh, wow. She's nuts. Right. And and I said to him, like, titles or whatever. My mama said, if you're a worker bee, whether you make $1 or $1 million, if you can get fired, you're a worker bee. Mm. We're worker bees. Mm-hmm. You don't own the company. That's right. So I'm just curious, when your mother was raising you, did she tell you that it was cool to just hang up in people's faces? Like, would she feel good that that's how you're behaving? <laughs> that's how you are now. Because I'm just curious. Yeah. And he was like, my mother? I said, yes, your mother, the lady who gave birth to you, raised you her? That lady? What did she? He was like, no. I said, so you're still her son every day.
1: Every single day.
0: I don't care what title they give you. The shit is just rude. Yeah. Amen. So he stopped. How how old were you when you did this? 25. And it was like a really big (laughs) lesson for me because I learned to quit assuming that everybody knows everything. Amen to that. If you tell them one time and they keep doing it, they mean it. Yeah. Wow. But also respect. Respect. That's a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'm not it, really with the disrespect. That's
1: right. As, and you, you prove that early on, which is, I think, pretty necessary to continue to navigate. It's know. also
0: incredibly important for people to understand today because my title today and whatever accomplishments I have and whatever people's perception of me is, mm-hmm. a lot of younger People and women believe it's about title. Mm. You do that because you have title. And so, thankfully, Jeff Sledge, who I work with at Jive Records, came to work at Atlantic with us a couple years ago, and I've known Jeff forever. Mm-hmm. And I said, Jeff, can you please tell these guys that I'm the same? He was like, Jones is the same. He said she was a regional and she was cussing out the general manager of Jive. And we all were so confused. He was like, and they loved her for it. We never understood how she got away with it. (laughs) But she got away with it. I don't know either, but it's been working for me. Yeah. So let's talk about
1: now um, some of the artists that you've touched and you've um, been a part of. Really, really promoting and just getting out and just, um, Bruno Mars.
0: Amazing. Meek Mill. Amazing.
1: Tell me some more artists.
0: Bruno Mars, Meek Mill, Wiz Khalifa, Cardi B, Lizzo.
1: I mean, I could have kept going Burner on. Burner Boy.
0: But my yeah. current obsessions. Burner Boy. Me Mahalia. I love I Do you that. know the Mahalia record with I LMA? I
1: Oh, yeah, I know that. What you did? I know that. I know that. That
0: is my record. Yes,
1: yes, yes. That's a good one.
0: Um... Who else do I currently work with?
1: I mean, just, you know, some of the biggest names.
0: Yeah, I mean, I worked with Nip. We miss Nip. Rest yeah. in peace. Um, Ratty Rich is my new little guy that's number one album. Mm-hmm. Killing them, Killing Great him. album.
1: <laughs> so um, you just said you miss Nip. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I guess, his impact on you?
0: So I've learned over time that I have an affinity, my, my, um, right hand and one of my best friends and my brother, um, Mar Brown was my right hand and, and a tremendous contributor to my life and to my success from Los Angeles. Um, and Mar died in, in, uh, 2016. Very suddenly he was 42, but loved him. So Mar made me realize I have an affinity for L.A. people, like L.A. guys, real real ones like him, mm-hmm. right? Mar was from the jungles, which is, you know, in the end of training day when Denzel's going crazy, that's the <laughs> that's, jungles. That's, that's where not... Mar grew up. So Nip was that kind of an L.A. guy. He grew up in, in not the best circumstances, but he meant what he said. He was so authentic. He was so genuine. And what really struck me particularly after his death when everyone was playing all the clips of his previous interviews and he talked about the reason he was here is because he kept going and other people quit Mm -hmm. is genuinely how he was. Mm -hmm. When I met Nip, I do radio. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know if he had a radio record. I didn't want to disappoint him. I understood it, you know, where he was in his career. I wasn't sure that he was going to make a radio record. So I was nervous. And he was like, JJ, check this out. I know what this is. I'm in it for the long haul. I don't know if there's a radio single off this first album, but whatever you need me to do and whatever Mm -hmm. I, you know, we can do together. I really appreciate it. So how can you not like this guy? Cause I was like, Oh my God. Cause usually if it's, if there's not a hit, it's your fault. If it's a hit, Mm -hmm. it's cause they're great. If it's not a hit, it's my fault. Mm, Um, and he was just really authentically a man of his word. He operated with a lot of integrity and, Nip was thoughtful, and he did not have a lot of ego when you spoke to him. Mm. Um, So he was very open to getting information from you about life because you were older and had more experience. And he was very open about his dreams and what he was working on and what he wanted to do. And I found his authenticity and his commitment so refreshing.
1: Mm. Can you tell me about um, how... How do you find these talents? How do you, like, what is it about people? Is it, I don't that, get to find them. Well, not, you know, or <laughs> just like, um, but you do have, you do know talent. You know, you know, you know what it takes, I guess, you know, to maintain longevity, I think, especially in this business. But um, what does it really take to survive, I guess, in this climate for music as an artist?
0: I mean, you know, there's so many things and there's so many outlets for music today. It mm-hmm. depends on the kind of artist you are and what your what your goals are. And I think sometimes it's just that simple. It's trying to figure out what you want to accomplish, because there's plenty of artists all over the country that make six figures and they just sing in Nashville. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They're not famous. They're not going to be big stars, but they make a living. And so my first question to artists are, do you want to be a star? Or are you trying to, are you an artist? What's mm-hmm. your goal? And I think when you see, you know, Cardi B has always been very transparent from yes. the beginning that her goal is to make a lot of money, which is exactly why she's making a lot of money. Yes. When I worked with Wale, who I also love, mm-hmm. um, Wale told me that he wanted a radio hit. And he was very collaborative with me during the recording process, which is unusual, but he was very clear about what his goal was. And that's why he made that That's why he made them. Because him, that yeah. was his intention. And if you're very eclectic and you want to make art for art's sake and you're cool, if you just play the cool venues and you never become a big, gigantic star, I I support that, too. There's a space for all of that. And sometimes magic happens and it all comes together and you end up with Jill Scott. Okay.
1: Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes.
0: Um, I could keep you here for another hour.
1: I have so many... So many questions I still want to ask and and dig into, and you have so many anecdotes and all these <laughs> names, and I just even now I'm still processing some of the names you dropped earlier, these icons and well, Cadillac and I think records. It's, and I can't <laughs>
0: believe I, I did. Well, that's just a reference. I, I'm too young for Cadillac records, I know, though, thankfully. But, still. <laughs> but you know, yes. I definitely don't want for this to end without me mentioning also my very first artist and my very first job that I ever had to do promotion with was Aaliyah. Wow. She was fifteen years old. She was
1: fifteen. That was your very first, very first. Yeah, because
0: you were Chicago. It was, but you it know, was you well. Was... When Aaliyah did promo, her album was platinum. She'd never been anywhere, and it was after the R. Kelly scandal. Wow. And what was fascinating is he told her never to fly.
1: He told her never.
0: He doesn't. He doesn't fly. So he told her never to fly. And so when she passed away, I was very touched for him as well, because as much as he's got his own issues, yeah, I could imagine how profound that was. Like yeah. my biggest fear has been realized. Wow. So what was, it,
1: what was it like working with her? What was it like during that time?
0: So, I mean, look, the, my, the circumstance under which I met her... Got up 5.30 in the morning, drive to Philadelphia. Larry (laughs) told me she's got a platinum album. We don't even know her. She's not happy. We're going to fire you. No pressure. I've been on the job for one month. I never had to do promo by myself with an artist. Now I get the little girl, the platinum girl that nobody knows that if it goes bad, I'm fired. Great. So I'm psychotic. Get there at 5.30 in the morning. Get to the hotel. Or get up 5.30. Get there about 6.30. Good morning. I'm Juliet from Jive. So I have an artist that's going to be performing on Powerhouse for Power 99. And I was just curious if you could let me see everybody's room. He was like, pardon me? I was like, there's like 20 artists on the show. I was like, so I need to see everyone's hotel room. He said, I'm not sure I can do that. I said, is there someone else I can talk to? And he said, why? I said, listen, sir, I just got this job. Mm -hmm. If this goes wrong, I'm going to get fired. That's right. I need to make sure that all the rooms are the same.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: I don't want my artist to find out that her room is not as good as <laughs> someone else's. And that's the reason that I get fired. Do you want me to be fired, sir? He was like, let me get the manager. <laughs> I go through all the rooms. Then I call the car company. Hey, can you tell me where your lot is? Do you think I could come and see all the cars that you're using to transport the artist today? Wow. And These he was like, things what? things you have to worry about. No one does, but I'm just crazy. But you're just... So, <laughs> The guy thinks I'm nuts. I drive in Philly, go to the parking the lot for the limos. This is air of limos. Thank God, Aaliyah's limo was gold. Kill yourself. Okay. I was like, Sir, we need black. This is never going to work. It has to be black. He's like, Well, what? I was like, I don't care. We need black. We get a black limo, no problem. Go to the airport to pick up Aaliyah. She's like, Can I ride with you? I'm like, In the Honda. <laughs> do you know what I've been through? To get, you know. <laughs> You want to get in my Honda? She's like, I wanted to um go to Burger King on the way. That's I said, right. you don't eat like they don't have toasted bird seed at Burger King. What are you gonna get? You don't eat. So immediately she just thought I was crazy mm-hmm. and loved it. So she's in the Honda. We're following the limo with her dad with her, in it. Yeah. And so off we go. We get to the hotel. She was just hosting. There was no sound check. I go to sound check and everyone is like, that's the girl. With that's with the Leah. That's because again, her album's platinum. No yeah. one has ever met her. So wow. everyone's like, can I meet Aaliyah? I'm like, look, her dad is here. When he comes later, he's in charge of that. Yes. I have an infection in my eye to make it more exciting. Oh, wow. Big infection in my eye. So Aaliyah used to wear the dark glasses. So she's. we get to the show that night, and she's like, you should wear my glasses. I was like, no, no, I'm not the artist. She's like, it looks bad. I said, thanks.
1: <laughs> thanks a lot. Just transparency purposes. Thanks, young
0: lady. Yes. Kids are great. Do, go out there and do whatever you're doing so we can go. <laughs> But she'd never been anywhere, and it was a big radio show, so I took pictures of her with every artist on the show. Wow. This was the era of cameras, right? Mm-hmm. So I got back, and I had all the pictures printed in black and white and 8 by 10s and framed them and sent them to her. So that was the beginning of our love affair. Okay. Because means- she was so excited mm-hmm. about meeting the people. She'd never been anywhere. And she was like, introduce me to so-and-so. So we, we remained friends after that, but that night, So it's a long day. I've been up since 5 o'clock in the morning. we go to the whole show. We do whatever. It's like 1 o'clock in the morning. I'm in bed. little knock at the door. I'm like, Jesus. Leave me alone. I look (laughs) at the people like, what does this child want? I'm like, hey. She's got on her pajamas. She's like, can I sleep in here with you? My dad snores. I said, check this out. (laughs) If you snore, you got to go. So she comes in. So she's, I'm like, we have to go to sleep. So we chit chat a little bit. And so that, I think kind of the nature of our relationship, I became kind of a big sister-y person to her. And so she had a show at the Apollo after that. She requested that I come. New York was not my territory. Add Boston, but not New York. Mm-hmm. Add insult to injury. Mm-hmm. And um, so um so we spent, you know, we had a great relationship over the years and I was very proud of her. And when she, Put the album out on Atlantic. She was nervous. Yeah, And she called me like, oh, my release party's in D.C. And are you going to come? And I was like, yeah, I'll come. And it was random because it was in Maryland, which was close to my house, which why does anyone do anything in Maryland? They don't. But it was great <laughs> but, at the yes. time. okay. And so I went. And so the song starts playing. And she's standing over me looking at me. I'm listening. Listening. The song is finished. She's in all her leather. Yes. And she's like...
1: You know, what was the song that was playing?
0: If Your Girl Only Knew the First Single. (laughs) And she looks at me and it ends and she's like, I'm just sitting there. She's like, do you like it? I said, no, you don't. I said, no, I love it. (laughs) It's really fantastic. (laughs) Oh, my God. You do. Thank God. She was really nervous, which was cute. I think it's, you know, people forget that they're real people. Yeah. You know, and when she went to the AMAs, I used to make my own merch when I was a regional because I. I'm crazy, and I didn't like what they were making, I guess. I'm not sure. But I used to make my own merch. Mm-hmm. So my merch guys made her outfit for the AMAs. Yes. It was the first time that she yes. done an yes. award show. Yes. Wow. You're, if you guys remember, she had on a leather, leather pants, a, a leather hockey jersey, and a hat.
1: Okay. I mean, just Aaliyah. Just the... Aaliyah, yeah. Just peak Aaliyah. I went that.
0: with her to the party the night that Biggie was killed at the Peterson Auto Museum. I met her there. I never wear brown usually, but I love to wear black. That night I was in brown. We were like twins. We met at the thing and looked like twins. I said, "Should I change?" She's Like I don't care. <laughs> so we get in there. She's like, "Oh my god, Juliet! Introduce me to Seal. This is Kiss from a yes, Rose Seal." I, love I that was she like, "I to be introduced to Seal. I don't know Seal. <laughs> you're like a multi-platinum artist. I don't know Seal. Uh-huh. Yeah, but you're like really friendly or whatever. Just so I spent my night." introducing myself awkwardly to people so I could introduce them sure. to her. Yes. Which was dumb because I'm like, Seal, this is he's like, Aaliyah, oh my God, <laughs> great to meet you. Yes. But it sounds like she was still She shy. I mean she she was shy yeah. and she was a real person and, you know, she was a person who really respected artistry. So like many of us, I think, like I, I don't know very many women who could meet Jill Scott and not I don't care how confident you are and not be like, fall oh my God. It's, it's and Scott, it's Yes. So I think that she like that. She respected these artists so much that it was a big deal to her. It yeah. had really nothing to do with who she was in the world. It was more like her admiration of their talent and mm-hmm. who they were that she just would be like, oh, I "Can't believe it is Seal. I want to meet him." I wow, meet him. wow. That's yeah. I mean, that's pretty. Uh, where do you
1: where do you even go from there? Oh. <laughs> that's yes. pretty iconic, and um, and it sounds like those are some stories that you just hold very. Very dearly. I mean, I've been your,
0: very to thankful yeah. to be I mean, I worked for Jermaine Dupri Dupree at Virgin with Janet and I saw JD at BET Awards and he was like, Come here, Juliet, let me talk to you, let me yeah. talk to you. I was like, What's up, J D? He was like, I just wanted to tell you that I'm so proud of you. And it literally <laughs> reduced me to tears in the middle Aww. of the party because JD meant it. Like yeah. he wouldn't say it if he didn't mean it.
1: I met him for the first time um and did an interview just a couple days ago.
0: So he's great. He? <laughs> he's great. Did he and try to make you a vegan?
1: Yes, a little, just a little, but, um, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking about it a little bit, but I, when you look at him and you, you speak to him, it, it's not hard to
0: be convinced
1: just a little bit. So
0: not me. He kept trying to get me to watch that film. I was like, I'm black. I eat chicken. I don't want to watch chicken. I film. mean, I'm still eating bacon and things like that, but you know, um,
1: yeah. Juliet. Yes. Tell me about, uh, what does the word unbossed, as the name of the podcast is, what does the word unbossed mean to you? And then tell me about somebody during your life, your career journey, anyone who you admire, a woman who is unbossed that we should know about.
0: I'm not sure what it means, honestly. Okay.
1: So I'll tell, you, oh. I'll tell you what it means to me. Um, I invited you on here because, to me, you are someone who's – like carved a lane, you know, for yourself. You've charted your journey. You've clearly you've had some challenges. You've overcome them. You obviously you have bosses, but I think you're very much a leader, and uh, you embody what that means. You carry yourself as such, uh, and your career has a testament to that. So to me, you are someone who's unbossed. You, the way you work and the way you, your receipts, so to speak, like you got. Yeah. You've done a lot of amazing work. You've touched a lot of amazing artists. And someone doesn't do that, you know, quietly or just, um, you you can't do that if you're not embossed, so to speak. So to me, you are embossed. Okay. Um, Thank you. So if you can, just, you know, just think about what does it mean to be, if the word embossed is throwing you off, then think about what what does it mean to be a leader? What does it mean to be someone who, navigates their career in a way that's both successful, but they're also, you know, able to deal with all of these challenges and to adapt to the
0: times. You know, I I think, look, I I say to my staff frequently, if you can't move at the speed of the music business, it's not for you. The business absolutely moves at a certain pace. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm old enough to understand that you can be mad at life or you can get in the flow of it. And the result is completely on, up to you. Mm-hmm. If you want to be mad at it forever, you can. And you could be mad until we bury you and throw dirt on top of you. You could do that. doesn't feel like a great plan for me. Mm-hmm. And so once I got mature enough to understand, like, after that experience of being fired and then what that opened up for me, what felt like the worst experience, this next time I got fired, I moved to Paris <laughs> with their money. <laughs> See. See, I told you I got all these questions for you. you would like to make me ask and start a like different I, interview. I, because I was like, I know that there's an expiration date to this kind of free time with Absolutely. a free check. And I'm going to enjoy it. it. And, and I think that that is incredibly critical to find some things that are personally gratifying that have nothing to do with your work. Mm. So that you can remain yourself. And to move to Paris after losing a job how at a are, record company. How old are you? How mm-hmm. old was when mm-hmm. I moved? 30-something, okay, late 30s. And how long were you there? Just a couple of months. But nice. I I actually went with the intention of taking a pastry class, which required me to learn to speak French. So I was taking French five days a week, and then I was going to go to the pastry class, but then I got a job. So I just yeah. did my French class ahead. for five days a week for a couple of months. Okay. Chatted my way around Paris to <laughs> practice, and then I came back. A francophile, yes. yes. But yeah, so I, I think I think it's that, and I think a woman that I tremendously admire mm-hmm. um, on the artist side is Jill.
1: Okay, yeah, she's come up a couple times, very I, genuinely. Yeah, well, I
0: had the I had the, the the pleasure of working with her, and as I taught her, told her when I got to Warner Music Group, which has been life-changing and transformative career-wise for me and incredibly educational. It's like a PhD in music business at one wow. of music group. Mm-hmm. My first artist was Jill. The day I started, we impacted her record, so we were freshmen <laughs> together.
1: What was the record?
0: So In Love with Anthony Hamilton. Yes. Holds the record for the longest-running number one at Urban Adult, 17 weeks. Say it again. Jill yes. Scott, the goat. <laughs> so, and you know, we're similar in age, and she's from Philly, and I lived in D.C. for a long time. And so, um, when I met her, I was intimidated because she's Jill Scott. Mm-hmm. And we did a couple of days of promo, and then we had the weekend off. okay, And so... Over the weekend, I thought, gosh, I'm an underachiever. i got to get myself together. This lady's unbelievable. Like, so then I was more stressed okay. by Monday, feeling yes. like I needed to like expand my repertoire. But I remember she said to me, well, Juliet, you know, how do you think it's the first day? She's like, "You know, on the Monday, she's like, you seem tired. And I said, well, you know, before I met you last week, I was nervous because I heard you were difficult. And she said, am I difficult? I was like, I don't know. It's too early to tell. And then... <laughs> But she was like, what? That's I was good, like, it's too a, early to tell. That's a good answer. It's a real answer. That's a promo answer. <laughs> too early to tell. Never yes, fails. Too really. early. It's a guy you're not sure you, how do you feel about me? Too early too to early. tell. <laughs> a couple more dinners, I'll let you know. So then I said, and then I met you, and then I felt like such an underachiever. I've been all weekend writing in my journal trying to figure out what else I should be working on. And mm. she was like, what? You're so crazy. So we go through the whole week of promo. I forget the conversation. But in that week of talking to her, I discovered a lot about her as a person. And she's talked about it before publicly that when she started in, in, you know, words and sounds, her first album, Mm -hmm. or who is Jill Scott, the first album, people were telling her to lose weight and change her look. And she just wanted to be an artist. Mm -hmm. She just wanted to create. And she really is purely that from head to toe. Um, and in that time I talked to her, my mother's like, I'm named after my godmother was in film and an artist and painted and sculpted. And my mother paints wow. and sculpts and mm-hmm. skills strange. So I grew up very much in, in this kind of visual art space. And so in that process, I talked to Jill about my mom. We had a, a wall in our basement and she let us pa- paint it and then she painted white and then we painted mm-hmm. again. Wow. So Jill went home and did that for her son. She yes. loved it.
1: That's pretty amazing. It, it, it helps yeah. to grow your
0: creativity. Just give me a space to draw on the wall. Please don't do it all over our house, you know? So, <laughs> just this designated so spot. So, we really connected, and what I understood about her obviously, her presence is powerful, but what I understood about her after getting to know her was Jill has and always probably will dance to her own music in her own time. Mm. She's not prolific. She's not going to put out 17 albums. No one's going to make Mm -mm. her do it. She'll put it out when she's ready. And what else struck me about her in an interview, someone said to her, if you had to describe yourself in one word, what would you say? And she said, I'm a writer. Yeah. And I thought that was fascinating that for her, that was the most important because that was the creativity of everything she does. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I was very inspired by that because I think that she's had tremendous success with the level of respect that a lot of women artists don't get and mm-hmm. all of that is about who she is as a human
1: so true she is authentically herself
0: and she's yep. consistent throughout her yeah. you cannot make Jill Scott do anything <laughs> so the last day of the promo tour we're done I forget she was like so Juliet am I difficult and I was like no actually you're not I had you know I-, I was like I actually like you Jill like we had a good experience mm-hmm. I don't but I- I'm very inspired by her and obviously I work for Julie Greenwald at Atlantic mm-hmm. who is in my opinion, the greatest music executive right now. Why? I mean, we're, we're in the results business. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, we got early into streaming, which was, you know, the life preserver of, of recorded music. Huge. Thank you, Jesus yeah. for that. And I let, My opinion and hypothesis based on nothing but my life experience, I think that part of the reason for that is because she is a woman and she was very open to new ideas and new revenue streams. She just wanted to keep the business moving forward. Mm. And that is part of the reason I think she's so great. And Julie is a wife and a mom and also operates at this level. And I find that to be mind boggling that she does all of these things. And she is this phenomenally successful and her work ethic, I really respect people who work hard.
1: Yeah, I can see that. I mean, especially
0: in your business. Correct. That's not always the case. <laughs>
1: it's not, you it's can't, not always the case. You can't fake
0: it. And I remember yeah. Linda last year, she said to me, you know, I just, I'm ready for the break. I don't think I can work any harder. I said, and I believe you. Mm-hmm. I believe that you cannot. And so when you work for someone with that kind of a work ethic, you can't be that mad at the work that they expect you to do because they're next to you in it. Yeah. true
1: true you got to rise to the occasion yeah.
0: and you know i'm certain because we're in a competitive business that all the men around town as they watch julie killing it mm-hmm. that's even more gratifying that, hurt, <laughs> that, that hurts a little bit i'm sure just a little bit <laughs> so where can um
1: where can everyone learn more about you and the work that you do are you on social media
0: I'm on Instagram. Okay. I'm terrible at social media. That's okay. That's all right. It's, it's like a right. whole job. I have such respect for people who really do it like consistently yeah. well and really catchy captions. And yes. I find it stressful. Like, I'm like, I have other things to do. This is stressful. Yes. And I don't find, you know, I don't know about other people's experience. I don't find my day to day life that fascinating. And my artists are a lot of them are friends and, and, yeah. and the work that I do with them. hmm. It's not here to help they're not here to help me make to make me famous. I'm yeah. here to help them to grow their career and whatever information I gather in that process mm-hmm. is not for me to sell later. Mm. Mm-hmm. Real. Real. But they're real
1: people to me. Um, for people who out there who maybe maybe if they're listening and they're not familiar with you and they're learning about you now and they might wanna you know, just see like, Okay, what's up? Like I wanna keep this woman on my radar and and learn, um, whether it's through social media or just to be able to do a deep dive, do a little Google University on you, you know, and I think it's important for people to listen and to be inspired and feel like, you know what, I want that. I, I admire her and I love her grit and I, I love what she represents and who she is. And you refer to yourself as nutty a couple of times. I love that you're nutty <laughs> <laughs> and I want to I want to follow her. So I do like. Know providing people that opportunity. Sure. So
0: my um, Instagram is Miss Juliet Jones, M.S. Okay. And my name, very easy. Very easy. Thank you, truly. Thank you. (laughs) I appreciate your time. Likewise. (laughs) Hello, Harlemite. Yes. And late nighter. I really think you should move this thing later in the day.
1: I I really do. (laughs) A special thanks to our guest today, Juliet Jones. Thank you. Be sure to listen download, or subscribe to more episodes of Unbossed. You can find Unbossed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Apple listeners, please be sure to leave me a review and let me know what you think. Be kind, but be critical. That's okay, too. Don't forget to hit me up on social at Markita underscore Harris underscore. Be sure to use the hashtag Unbossed Podcast. Appreciate you. Thanks, guys.